Now, cancel culture, it's been around since Me Too movement five, six, seven years ago. It really is that whole kind of movement that has kind of sought to publicly out abusers and then boycott them, usually popular media figures, etc., etc., but sometimes historical figures as well. And when you think of cancel culture, you think there's some good things about it. For example, it kind of speaks truth to power. It kind of um, protect, well, it protects the powerless. It names sin for what it is. It pursues justice. These are good things. But what it doesn't get is grace. It has no sense of grace. It has no sense of uh, offering people repentance. You know, repentance, the word means simply to change your mind and as a result to change your life. What I love about being a follower of Jesus is that Jesus and John the Baptist calls us on us to repent, that we're not stuck in the way we used to think. You know, uh, I, I remember um, talking to a man. He was a white supremacist. He was your classic racist and, and proud of it. And then he met Jesus, and all of a sudden now he's an active member of a church that has an Indian pastor, and he loves him to bits. That's what cancel culture doesn't do. But the gospel of our Lord Jesus does. That what I used to believe, I don't, ha- I don't believe anymore. That what I used to do, I no longer do anymore. Why? Because I have repented. The Bible's full of amazing examples of repentance. The nation of Israel again and again had to repent. We had the kings of Israel repenting, even someone like Manasseh. If you know anything about him, I mean, he's... He's the dirtbag of dirtbags, if the word dirtbag means anything to you. I mean, he, this guy was so bad, he offered his kids in sacrifices to false gods. But when, had he, when he had his eyes plucked out and taken to a foreign land, in that prison cell, he cried out for mercy, and God forgave him. Repentance. Then there's the city of Nineveh, where Jonah reluctantly went and preached repentance and, and the judgment to come. And there the city of Nineveh repented. And then, of course, there's story after story of individuals, people again and again repenting, turning from their sins, turning back to God. And, and to me, the classic one was the thief at the cross, who at the very end with his dying breath said to Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Repentance. So it comes as no surprise that when John the Baptist, the last and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, comes along, that's his opening message. Repent. Let's pick it up in Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, what did he say? Together. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, why is John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness? Shouldn't he be in the city? Makes no sense. And why is he at the Jordan River? I'll tell you why. Because the wilderness and the Jordan River is the birthplace of Israel. Every nation has a birthplace, does it not? A place where it kind of begins. For us in the UAE, it's the Union House here in Dubai. You may or may not know, but way back in December 1971, the leaders of the seven emirates got together and signed the Declaration uh, of Union. And for the first time, the UAE flag was hoisted on a pole. That is where we began as a nation here in Dubai, in UAE. Now, for Israel, the birthplace of Israel was the wilderness. It was there at Mount Sinai where God had entered into a covenant. I will be your God, you will be my people. 
From there for 40 years, God in the wilderness had placed Israel to try and test her, transforming her so that she will learn that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And from there, God had ushered this nation through the baptism waters of the Jordan into the promised land. So it made very perfect sense that the last and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets would go not in Jerusalem, but would be in the wilderness, calling on Israel to come and to start again. In fact, there are people even now today getting baptized in that same river uh, in, in Jordan, the birthplace of the nation. The message from John was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's time to start again. Repent. And it's a simple word, really. It means to functionally turn from your sin and turn to God. In this case, to turn to the living Lord Jesus. It's to do what we call a U-turn. A U-turn. In Australia, we call it a U-E. Can you say U-E? Oh, you're so Aussie. <laughs> now, in my home city of Sydney, it's illegal to do a U-turn at traffic lights. That's what I love about Dubai. You can do U-turns in traffic lights. And since I make so many mistakes on the road and I'm forever getting lost, that U-turn brings me back on the right road. I'm forever repenting on the roads of, uh, of Dubai. <laughs> and John calls Israel to do a U-turn, to start the new life with the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus, by saying no to the old life of rebellion. It's a call to begin again. It's a call to be born again. But it wasn't just for the worst parts of Israel. It was for all of God's people to actually repent. We see that in verse 5. People went out from him, uh, went out to him, that's to John, from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Wow. They came from everywhere to the wilderness. To hear John saying, well, you've got it all wrong. It's time to start again. Repentance. Now, remorse is part of repentance, but repentance is more than remorse. Remorse is feeling bad for you, what you've done wrong. I'll give you an example of of the two differences. Uh, Think of Peter and Judas, two of the 12. They both felt very bad for sinning against Jesus. But they, only one of them repented. Take Judas. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He felt, we're told that he was seized with remorse, but he didn't repent. Peter, on the other hand, denied Jesus three times. He went out and wept bitterly, but he did repent. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 reminds us of the difference. In 2 Corinthians 7 we read, godly sorrow or godly remorse brings what? Repentance, that leads to what? Salvation, that leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow or remorse brings? Well, there you go. There's the two. That's, the story. That's the story of both Peter and Judas. I wonder which one of them is you. Because we all got a conscience and we all feel bad about the things we've done. But has remorse led to repentance? And because if it's led to true remorse, leads to true repentance that leads to true salvation, that leaves no regret. Now, the message that John was bringing was kind of humbling Israel, bringing her to her knees. Look at verse uh, verse, uh, 6. 
Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So John was functionally saying to those who were in, actually you're out and you need to start again. You think you're in, but you're out. And they came, what? Confessing their sins. Now what is it, when we confess, what exactly are we doing? You know, um, we're basically siding with God. We're agreeing with him that what we did was wrong, with how we lived our life was wrong. That we're, we're naming it for what it is. God, I have rebelled against you. You see, you start life siding with your sin against God, calling good evil and evil good. But when you repent, you side with God against your sin and calling it out for what it is. So I wonder today, have you repented? Have you done that journey of going from siding with your sin to siding with God against your sin? Because without it, there's no salvation. But not all who came out to the wilderness came to repent. Verse 7, he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing. These were the two respectable wings of respectable religion in Judaism. They didn't feel they needed to confess nor be baptized. And so John unleashes a judgment on them, or a warning of judgment might be better. In, in verse 7b we read, he says this, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Wow, that's heavy, isn't it? You snakes, stop pretending. Stop thinking you can play the fake repentance. Friends, you know when I hear that, I think, wow. John the Baptist was reminded me of a man called John Knox. He was a very famous preacher in Scotland. And they said of him, he feared the face of God so much, he never feared the face of any man. I mean, he could say it straight. Well, that's John the Baptist, you brood of vipers. And he's not saying that to the broken. He's saying that to the proud, to the religious leaders. Now, friends, but the warning here is you can't fake repentance. Now, good works does not make you um, right with God. You know that. I hope If you don't know that, today's a very good day. Good works... Your good will never buy you a place in heaven. It doesn't work like That's religion, but that's not Christianity. But if you're right with God, your life will be marked by good works. Uh, James, the uh, Lord's brother, put it this way. Faith without works is what? Dead. Now, I think of um, the way to understand this is, if you, if you, if you know of uh, conjoined twins or Siamese twins, where, where twins are born where they're physically kind of joined at the hip, so to speak. And um, uh, those that don't share any organs in common can actually be separated. But if they share key organs, they can't be separated. And they spend their whole life being physically joined together. And I always think that's a good picture for faith and repentance on one hand and good works on the other. Because the two are not the same. They must never be confused, but they must never be separated. With one always comes the other. Produce, what does he say? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Because Jesus was always interested in wanting to transform you, not just inform you. So why didn't these Pharisees and Sadducees want to repent? He gives the answer in verse 8 and 9. He says, Produce fruit in keeping it with repentance. 
And do not think you can say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Seriously, you can make an idol out of anything. You know what an idol is? An idol is anything. They're usually good things that become ultimate things, things that you put your trust in instead of God, that you look to for salvation instead of God, that you love more than God. And it can be a relationship. It can be a job. In the case of Israel, they had put their national religious identity as their idol. And so they had a conversation, a very dangerous conversation with themselves. They would say to themselves, well, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm part of the tribe of Judah. I'm going to be okay because I'm a child of God. That little conversation. I wonder what dangerous conversation are you having with yourself? You know, I reckon around the world. Nominal Christians are having these sort of conversations all the time. And John will be saying exactly the same thing. So don't say to yourself, well, because I'm, I'm, I'm a Catholic or a Coptic, because I'm a Presbyterian or a, or a Pentecostal. Or, or it might be ethnic, you know, because I'm a Syrian or Arabian, because I'm Argentinian or Australian, that somehow I'm right and don't need to repent. You're not born into the Christian faith. You're born again. <laughs> God has no grandchildren, just children. God commands all people everywhere to repent. That's what the Apostle Paul said to the Athenians. God has issued a command to all people. The one God has issued a command to all people. All people need to repent, to turn and put their trust in Jesus. All people, that's all nations, all faiths, all genders, all sexual orientations, all personalities, all classes... No one's exempt. No one is a victim of their upbringing and culture. Now, God in the past has overlooked such ignorance of rebellion, but now he has set a day aside where he will judge the world on the basis of the one he has raised from the dead, and that resurrection of Jesus is deemed sufficient evidence for all people to turn from their life of rebellion and put their trust in Jesus, the King of Kings. And the reason for why we repent Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of God has come. How do we know that? Because the king has come. And his name is? His name is the Lord Jesus. Exactly right. God, in in the person of Jesus, God left heaven to take charge of a world that has rebelled against him. John the Baptist has been therefore called to prepare the way for the Lord in light of the coming of the king. And the message isn't simply repent. It's, it's not like repent, take it or leave it. It's repent or die. To those who want to play at religion and play even at, at being a follower of Jesus, there's a stunning warning here in verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit, finish the sentence, cut down and thrown into the fire. Wow, no fruit, no salvation, no repentance, no rescue. Whoa. It's even hard for me to say these words. It's not popular to preach repentance. We want Jesus our Savior, but not so much as our Lord. I like him as Savior, don't like him as Lord. I spoke to a guy once, he just joined church once and joined us and uh, it was clear that he, he said to me he loved Jesus, but he also loved his drugs as well. And, uh, and he would smoke them morning, noon and night. 
uh, he felt bad when he did, and he put his trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. I said, what did your previous pastor say? And he said, well, he said, you know, you need to stop doing the drugs, but we all battle with our sin. I said, that's true, you know, we all battle with sin. It's, but then I said, but I'm not seeing any battle. <laughs> You've waved the surrender flag to the sin. <laughs> there's no resistance. There's no opposition to sin. You're still siding with your sin. He, um, he, he really, he, he, he was really not, I, I said to him, I said, look, I think what might be helpful in your case is maybe stop calling yourself a follower of Jesus and decide whether you actually want to follow him on his terms. Well, he was kind of shocked. I think what he wanted from me was a kind of a dose of cheap grace. <laughs> well, I loved him too much to give him that. Anyway, he kind of left shocked. Two days later, he came back. He said, thank you so much for drawing a line in the sand. I did need to hear it. And he started the journey of repentance. He was a man like, like us all, with a weak will, who lived in a city, uh, sorry, in a world with a weaker will. And he confused, you can see what he was doing. He confused remorse and regret with repentance. He thought one was the same as the other, and it's not. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The Christian life is not theoretical. <laughs> Jesus wants a transformed life. We're not going to get a sinless life. We're not talking about that. But a transformed life, yes. I may not be always what I want to be, but I know I'm not what I used to be. Amen? Amen. And um, it's not John who brings the judgment. Look, look who does bring it in verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. So John's job was to introduce Jesus onto the world stage. That's why he's the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, because of his proximity to Jesus. And John knew exactly who he was and who he wasn't. I must decrease, he says, Jesus must increase. I come, pre I come preaching repentance and baptizing you with water, but one is coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, which is a reminder, friends, that once you say yes to Jesus, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. John says, I baptize, I preach judgment. <laughs> Jesus issues judgment on the last day. So do business with him and don't pretend with him. Verse 12, for those who don't want to bear fruit, Bear fruit. Those who want to carry the name, but not, not, not the, the fruit of repentance, he says, of Jesus. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, those who have repented, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire for those who haven't. Wow. He's describing the ministry of Jesus on the last day. For those who don't repent, Jesus says they will be cut down, cast out, and consumed in everlasting judgment. Very heavy, isn't it? Jesus is not to be fooled with. I remember uh, hearing of a lady. She, um, she was regular at church, and she was regular on Tinder. Nothing against, you know, online dating, in the right kind, just, just assume that the person you're talking to, only 10% are legit. <laughs> if you work on that assumption, you know. 
Mark out your faith from the beginning. Anyway, but she didn't. She was just uh, she was dating guys and sleeping with them, uh, just one after another. And uh, but but it didn't seem to bother her. That was that was a surprising thing. She eventually uh, married someone, and then they and uh, uh, they two were doing the same thing. And uh, then they came and went to church. Now, what was interesting to me was this: it's not that she had sinned and fallen. That wasn't the issue. There was just no guilt. There was no shame. There was no regret. There was no remorse. There was absolutely no repentance. That was the issue. And there was no idea by her that the axe is at the foot of the tree. And every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Christianity is not a religion. It's not, a, uh, it's not even a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with him on his terms. That, that being a follower of Jesus is, has to be on his terms because he's not simply Lord and Savior. He is Lord. Our God is a consuming fire. You do not want to meet God unforgiven. These are hard words. They're hard to say, but they have to be said because they are the word of God. That's why we preach the Bible chapter by chapter because I don't get to pick which parts I preach. I'm kind of letting the Bible set the agenda and sometimes it's, I wish it didn't say that, but it does. And I refuse to believe the lie. We refuse to believe the lie that we're wiser than God. Repent or die. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, if you have repented, you look with excitement to the last day. Why? Because there you'll be presented before the throne of God with, without fault and great joy. It's a complete opposite story. Twice John says no to baptism. He says no to those who don't want to repent, but he actually says no to the one who doesn't need to repent. Who would that be? There's only one, the Lord Jesus. So why would Jesus want to be baptized? Why would the sinless son of God and the servant of the Lord actually want to be baptized? He has no sins to confess. He has no need to repent. Look at verse 16. Notice what happens when he gets baptized. As soon as, they, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son. Why don't we say it together? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's kind of like Psalm 2, Isaiah 42. He is the servant son of God predicted in the Old Testament. There he is. Now, if you have... If you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus, I urge you to be baptized, but only if you're serious about repentance. It's not a little event you go through just to tick off. And if you're searching for Jesus, I really encourage you to do the All About Jesus course. We'll be meeting 11 o'clock next week. Most weeks we have, we tell the story of people getting baptized. We have a whole picture. You know, there have been 75 people plus who've been baptized in the last three months of fellowship. Isn't that wonderful? And I tell you what everyone has in common, which is what you and I had in common when we got baptized. When you get baptized, you're functionally saying to God, I am a sinner needing to be saved by grace. We're kind of confessing you know, that we too have had to repent and turn from a life of sin and turn to the Lord Jesus. And did you notice when you got baptized what didn't happen? 
or what what did you did you listen carefully to what was shouted out from the heavens? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. It's as if God was saying, Well, you get no argument from me. <laughs> you betcha you're a sinner needing to repent. That's what God was saying. The silence was deafening. God was saying, you're absolutely right. You're owning your rebellion. Well done. But when Jesus gets baptized, oh, everything changes. It's like God the Father can't help himself. He tears apart the heavens and says, to make sure everyone knows, oh, now this one, as opposed to the rest of you, this one is my son in whom I'm well pleased. With him I love. He's the one who got it right. Finally, there's someone out there. Finally, there's an Israelite, a child of Abraham, who actually keeps my covenant. Finally, there's one who's matched God's law with perfect obedience. At last. And in him is our hope. Finally. But why did Jesus get baptized still? It it still raises the question. It doesn't explain it. And I think the best way to explain it is that Jesus is permanently siding with his people. You know, remember in Matthew 1, Jesus, you shall name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. You shall name him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That he who knew no sin becomes sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as the son and as the servant of the Lord, Isaiah 42, when he, baptized, when he is baptized with his people, he is siding with them. He stands with us. Before he dies for us. He sides with us. Why? So that he can die for us. That's our God. That's the Lord Jesus. What I love is the ministry of Jesus doesn't begin with a call to repent and a warning of judgment. It's there. But it actually begins with Jesus standing in your shoes. Right there. In the waters of baptism. Saying, I'm siding with my people. Jew and Gentile. See, the logic is very simple. You sin, he dies. He dies, you get to live. Why don't you repeat it after me in the first person? I sin, he died. He died, I live. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. Sinless Jesus, the son and servant of the Lord. What does he do? As... Surely as he plunged into the baptism waters of Jordan and the beginning of his ministry, three years later, he will plunge into the fury of God's judgment at the cross for our sins so that we don't have to. You know, without the cross, seriously, the call to repent will be unbearable and impossible. I mean, what, what's been said today is very too heavy to bear. On our own. Repent. Flee from the coming wrath. What? Our God is a consuming fire. Oh man, too heavy. I can't can't bear with it. Repent or else. Whoa. No, no. Without the cross, the call to repent is simply unbearable and impossible. But with the cross, knowing that, wow, he's lived the life I should have lived. He's the covenant keeper. And I'm in him. And he matched God's law with perfect obedience. He's done it for me. Wow. Now, now with repent, now repentance isn't a burden that I can't live up. It's a joy and a delight and a gift from God. You know, when I became a follower of Jesus at age 20, 
baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That spirit in whom we were baptized, what does he do? But he convicts us of our sin. And I love the way he does it in a gentle way. He doesn't kind of convict us of every sin because, you know, it would be unbearable. But he begins a journey of slowly bringing us under the lordship of Christ. And one of the early things he did for me was he started to speak to me about something I'd done the year before. I had basically lied to the government and, uh, and basically misrepresented my father's income. And it, functionally, I stole $5,000 from the Australian government. And the Spirit of God kind of convicted me. I was a student at the time. It was for student allowance uh, supplement that they were giving at the time. So I, uh, I, I called up the government officials and they said, you can pay back the $5,000. That would be like $25,000. Now, that's like 80,000 durham, just to give you a sense in today's money. So there's a lot of money I had to pay back. And I had to postpone my studies, do, go back to work for that year and pay off that debt before I could resume my studies. Now, what got me was, wow, I love doing it. I mean, you know, I didn't love it all the time. And, and I'm not saying, you know, you've got to you know, go back to everything you, you did and try to fix up. Like, it's almost, it's, it is impossible to do that. But I did know early on that, that part of repentance is making restitution, putting things right, paying back things that are owed. And I knew repentance was a gift of the Spirit. You know why I knew it? Because of the joy it gave me. I can honestly still remember the joy of paying back that money. Why? Because what Jesus did was so wonderful, it was the least I could do. So I wonder for you, friends, I wonder for you what the Spirit of God has been saying to you of late. You know, let me explain. There are two kinds of repentance. There's the big R repentance. It's on the next slide. And that's for some of you. You need to actually make that big U-turn, the big U-E. You've been heading in a direction opposite to God and you need to come to him and submit to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's repent for life. That's the big U-turn. But you know, in that journey, once you've done that, every day is a life lived in repentance. Um, I remember the first time I was driving, a week after I arrived here, I, I had that drive to, to Rack. I, I was speaking at uh, the Bible College in Rack. And um, that was a scary ride, but uh, that was my direction. But along the way, I made mistakes. Three, to rem I remember. One time, I actually ended up in an airport car park. I don't know how that happened. I made a little accident. I made detours here and there. And along that journey of an hour and a half, I had to swing back in. I had to, there was a, every 15 minutes, I was repenting and coming back online. And the Christian life is a life lived in repentance like that. But what you've got to do is let the Spirit of God woo you, convict you, take you to that next place. Why? Because in the words of a song that I love, it says, Lord, you have given me everything. What can I do for you? Isn't that what their motivation is? There is no other motivation. Lord, you have given me everything. What can I do for you? So for some of you, I pray that today will be the day you'll do the big U-turn, the big repent. For others, you've been sliding off on a side road. It's been unhelpful. Jesus says, no good for you. Come back. And you swing back. And let Jesus take charge. Why? Because, Lord, you have given us everything. What can we do for you? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you as 
saints who are sinners, who have repented. We have turned from a life of sin and rebellion and put our trust in you, Lord Jesus. Or we're sinners who want to become saints, who want to turn from a life of sin and to put our trust in you, Lord Jesus. Now, Lord, we can only do that because Jesus, the sinless son and servant of the Lord, stands with us and then died for us. We sinned, he died, he died, we live. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And we want to say thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, enabling us, wooing us, drawing out from us that desire to bear fruit, the fruit consistent with repentance. And so we ask you, Lord, that you would convict us of those those distractions, those detours that we've made along the road to come back onto the main highway. Because, Lord, as you, as you do that, you're only, you're only wanting to do that because it's what sets us free. You can see that we're getting enslaved in some detour, some unhelpful pattern, and we want to bear fruit in that area. And so, Father, help us to grasp that following Jesus is truly a life lived in repentance, not law-bound, judgmental repentance, but life-giving Spirit-unleashing repentance driven by the grace of God that wants to say no to sin. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the saints said? Amen Amen indeed.